You've landed on the Lonely Diplomat podcast and wherever you are in the world from Islamabad to... No, no, that's the only capital city that begins with I in English. But wherever you are in the world, welcome. I'm Phil McAuliffe and I'm the Lonely Diplomat. My work helps to reconnect diplomats and those living the diplomatic life to themselves and to the world around them. I do this through my website, thelonelydiplomat.com. And on that site, you will find my blog, this podcast, details of my coaching services that I provide for diplomats and those living the diplomatic life, information about seminars and webinars that I give for our employing agencies and for you, my audience. You'll also find details of the Friends of the Lonely Diplomat, which are groups that are being set up all over the world where my audience are so we can have a real conversation about the things that really matter to us as we live our diplomatic life. And you'll find details of how you can buy my book, The Lonely Diplomat, Reconnecting to Yourself and to the World Around You. If you haven't yet bought the book, the reviews are great um, and I really encourage you to Pick up a copy, read it, and then reflect on how you can reconnect with yourself and to the world around you. While you're on my site, why don't you subscribe? Because subscribers never miss any of my blog posts or podcasts, and they are entitled to substantial discounts on my services. If you're on social media, be sure to follow The Lonely Diplomat on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. In this, the 16th episode of the Lonely Diplomat podcast, we'll be talking about language and the words that we use. We diplomats are generally great at language. We speak and we write well. We learn, we can learn lots of languages prior to our postings in various places. And we can use language because we must use language to our advantage. It's all part of the job and absolutely necessary for us to be great at words. But can this also be a problem for us? I explored this in a blog post which I published in January 2019. And indeed, this kind of nicely bookends my, uh, my 2019. The first blog post was on language and how we use language. And probably the last podcast episode for 2019 um, is also about language. So it's a nice little bit of balance there in, in, uh, in my work, I guess. But we diplomats simply are fantastic at language, and it's for very good reason. We have nailed the art of saying something without saying anything at all. It's an impressive skill when we can get up ourselves or witness someone speak at length five, ten minutes on really nothing in particular, but being able to leave the audience feeling suffused with warm, fuzzy feelings about how our country feels about theirs. 
platitudes can simply roll off our tongues. We diplomats, when it comes to absolute fundamentals of our job, we are in the business of keeping communication channels open, keeping communication channels between countries open. When communication channels begin to close between countries, our words can be replaced by missiles and bullets. Might sound very dramatic, but when you think about it, it's really true, isn't it, listener? So our work as diplomats really revolves around our ability to use language well. So we can carefully craft our written and verbal communication. So our statements, our communiques, cables, records of meetings, letters and speeches that we write or deliver are just so. Now, if you're not a diplomat or living the diplomatic life, and I know that there are many listeners who aren't or are an aspiring diplomat, it's important to understand that it can just seem like mere semantics, um, the tweaking that can happen on the joint communiques at the end of a summit, um, or the words that you see on a website, be that for a diplomatic mission or for a, a, a government statement. The words used have been chosen extremely carefully. And it's for very good reason, because the audience for those words can come from very different linguistic and cultural backgrounds. And when it comes down to it, diplomacy has certain protocols, certain rules about how language is used what language is used and in which circumstances. So the subtleties of language that many many of us might just skate over when we're reading actually really matter for diplomats and in the practice of diplomacy. These protocols help us avoid miscommunication. These protocols help us to know what is being said, potentially in a language that's not our first language, and reduces that misunderstanding, the inadvertent causing or taking of offence. Also, when a diplomat speaks or when a diplomat writes in public, we don't ever give our personal views. When a diplomat speaks, the words that have been used are ones that are appropriate because they are what the government that for which we work wants us to say. They've been officially cleared. And so when we go to meetings, we are approved to say certain things or, or to take conversations to a certain point. And if a question is asked, uh, and we're not approved to give an answer, we have to go back to the capital and see 
um, and, and get approval before we can respond to the le- to the request. So thinking, putting that into context, we do what we can to make commitments, but only commitments that have been officially approved. If we're called upon to make a commitment that has not been officially approved, we won't make a commitment until it's been approved. And that is well understood in diplomacy because everybody is working to keep communication channels open. And so that can mean that we want to avoid saying no to a request from one country to our governments. The word no can be very problematic for diplomats because it shuts down a communication avenue. This leads to some really interesting scenarios because we know as diplomats that a hmm, you know, we will go away and further consider it might actually mean a no or yes, that's a really interesting proposal. Um, We will go and consider it might actually be despite the word yes being used, might actually end up being a no still. These linguistic gymnastics that we are very adept at, or at which, using my language properly, the linguistic gymnastics at which we are very adept mean that we are particularly attuned to the subtleties of language. This is how diplomacy works. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, it can get very frustrating. And, but really, it's it's the nature of the job. And when you develop experience, um, uh, you you quickly realise that this actually um, is extremely useful in doing your job. But as I did in the blog post um, on The Lonely Diplomat on Language, um, for which there's a link in the description, I want to ask a question. Well, the question is, where is the border between work communication and the communication that we use internally and the communication that we use verbally, that we verbalize outside of the work. Where is the border for diplomats, particularly diplomats, but also this applies to those living the diplomatic life. So the accompanying spouses, the partners, and even the children of diplomats always are representing the their government, their employer, And so we always need to be very careful about what we say and what we write. Where is the line there where the words and way of thinking that we do at work, where is that line within us? Do we leave that particular communication um, and way of thinking at work? Or, listener, has it seeped into you? Have you adopted fully that communication style that we use at work all the time? Because if 
you have, I want to challenge you on that because I feel that that mode of communication does not serve us well in many instances in our life, in our, in our non-work life. So I want to spend the rest of this episode exploring the problems that can arise when our work attitude and our work use of communication begins to bleed into, seep into our the rest of our lives. Because it's often hard to differentiate between the two when we are the job and the job is us, particularly when we're on a diplomatic posting. So, listener, do you avoid saying no? Do you find yourself, do you find yourself at home when asked to do something, asked to make a commitment, do you find yourself avoiding saying no because work, avoid yourself, not necessarily saying no, but you avoid giving a definitive answer because something might happen? Do you find that you are that you keep your options open all the time? Do you really say what you mean outside of the work context? The words that we use and, and how we use them are extremely powerful because they telegraph our intentions and beliefs and the stories that we tell ourselves into the world. And so it's in, because of that, it's incredibly important, I feel, strongly I feel this, that we pay attention to the words and our thoughts. So the words that we say and the words that we use in our thoughts and what others say. Because when we are attuned to the language that we use that we use within ourselves and that other people in our lives outside of the professional context use, it kind of, it can become a superpower. And I perhaps am showing my age here, but it does feel like at times that with my awareness of language, my awareness of how I use language, the language that I use within myself, and the words that others use in communicating with me have kind of become like a an old-fashioned tuner on a radio. So not not a fish uh, to those uh, who who can't understand my Australian accent, perhaps. Um, but the tuner, the T U N E R, on a radio, and and it feels like. You know, after adjusting the dial, you hit upon a, a radio station that comes in crystal clear. And that is the awareness of the power of the words that are used by others and within myself. I want to give you an example of this. And this is actually a real example of a response that I received or, 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 or an email, sorry, that I, I received um, a, a little while ago. And it was someone responding to uh, my invitation to attend a Friends of the Lonely Diplomat meetup. And the person evidently was very keen to come um, along and, and to join the conversation. But the 
email said the words, I'm really going to try to make it. And I sat back when I, when I read that. I sat back and I was like, what? What does that actually mean? What does that mean? That's words on a page. That's words on the screen that mean nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm really going to try to make it. And that, to me, stuck out because it was an, a non-answer. It was an answer that had absolutely no commitment to it at all. And I get it. I get it. The meetup, you know, something may have happened that would have, or that could have meant that the person responding may not have been able to make the make the meetup. But rather than saying yes, and then sending a response, um, you know, closer to the time or no, um, or being firm in their words saying yes, but, you know, there might be an important phone call that, you know, there, or there's work going on at that time and, you know, I'll need to take care of it, which means that I won't be able to, to I might not be able to come. I get it. I would get that. But what the hell? What does really going to try to make it actually mean? How can I depend on that person when they're really going to try to make it? Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get how words like I'm really going to try actually are words, just words, they're empty words because I don't know what really going to try really means. And so I want to use this as an example of the power of the words that we use because that telegraphs, that statement, that response, I'm really going to try to make it, telegraphs to me that the person responding is not actually of their word. Dramatic pause there to let that sink in. I can't depend on that person despite them providing, in this context, despite them providing a response. It's a non-response. So in my blog post, The Lonely Diplomat on Language, I encouraged you to be to become linguistic ninjas when you heard two words over this past year. Do you remember that? Do you remember what those two words were? For those of you who have not read the blog, go and read the blog, but for those of you who may not have read the blog, the two words are the verb to try and the modal verb to should. Now I'm going to address to try first. And I feel that quoting Yoda from Star Wars is the best way to respond to the verb to try. And Yoda famously says, do or do not. There is no try. And I think that actually says exactly what needs to be said in that very Yoda-style way. If you find yourself saying, I will try, actually give a response that says yes or no. And I get, I get, we all have things that can come up at the last minute. But I promise you, things become 
clearer when we are clearer with our language. When we are clear with the words that we use, people know, or checking my use of people there, others around us know exactly where we stand. That doesn't mean that we cement ourselves into a position. We are entirely all capable of changing our mind. But at that point, with that information that we have available to us, why can we not say yes or no? Why do we feel compelled to say, I'll try? The person receiving that communication, that response that says, I'll try, doesn't know what that means. And so leads to the receiver of the communication telling themselves a story about what I'll try actually means. So unless, as the receiver of that I'll try response, has the presence of mind to say, hang on, what does I'll try mean? Then two people, at least two people in that conversation, are both the speaker and the receiver of the information, are wondering what I'll try actually means. For the sake of a moment within the speaker of going, can I do this? Do I want to do this? Will this serve me? Does this align with my values? Am I expected to do this? Is there no other option for me to say yes or no? All of that can simply be a yes or a no. The tricky part is where this happens at work. Now, I'm not some Pollyanna. I'm not a naive little Bambi in the woods. I know that for many of us at work, our time is not our own. And we can make all the commitments that we possibly can and fully intend to do them, but then something urgent comes up and we need to to do, um, we need to respond. That's fine absolutely fine and you simply send a message saying something urgent has come up I can't do this I'm sorry but when plans need to happen and you've responded with and I'll try to make it you have essentially outed yourself as being unreliable whether you deliberately meant that or not that is why I am so clear on when I hear the the word try or the verb to try and that sends up a red flag within my mind and is an invitation to go very quickly, what does try look like? I'm compelling the speaker, the writer, to clarify that so I can make my plans, I can go about my day, I can go about my part of the conversation in safer knowledge of what is actually being expressed. In a similar way, should is a verb, a modal verb, that needs to set up a, that needs to set red flags flying when we hear that. And I'm gonna give you an example. I um, was recently, or last year, back in Australia. And I needed to buy some electronic equipment. Um, And I went to a store and pleasingly, for the first time, as diplomats, you will understand this, you probably have 20 toasters 
uh, or have had 20 toasters in your life because every time you go to a new country, there's different voltage, there's different plugs, there's different uh, wattages, whatever it is, it's just different. So you end up having to go and buy a new toaster. This wasn't a toaster, but the, the example stands. And so I went to this store and pleasingly in New Zealand, uh, the, the voltage and the plugs are the same as in Australia. So I knew that I could buy whatever I was buying and plug it in um, into uh, an outlet here in New Zealand and it would work. But on the off chance that it couldn't work, that it didn't work, the retailer that I bought at um, bought the or wanted to buy the piece of equipment in Australia also had has stores here in New Zealand. And I thought, I asked, can I return um, or exchange something that I've bought in Australia for something for the same product that is being on sale, uh, on sale in New Zealand in the event that it doesn't work? And the salesperson at the store in Australia said, yeah, you should be able to. And I noticed the word should, the red flag went up and I went fully ninja <laughs> on him and in a nice way. Um, but I said, hmm, should be able to or I can. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you should. You should be able to. No, no, no. You don't understand me. Can I? If there is a problem with this, can I return it to a store in New Zealand and replace it? Because if I can't do that, I will not buy it. And he's like, yeah, 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 you should. You should. I'm like, oh, really? Really? <laughs> can you please listen to me? Uh, and so I asked him to go and check. And I wanted absolute surety before I spent a bit of money on this piece of equipment that I would be able to exchange it. That is an example that I use all the time because I'm sure that we can all relate to it. When we want to commit, but someone says, yeah, you should be able to. It's like, I'm sorry, what? So, like, I, I, I should be able to, but perhaps I can't. Am I going to commit to this purchase? Am I going to commit to something that this person is telling me that they want to do? Should needs to, should must raise red flags because it's lazy communication. It's lazy. It shows a, a lack of commitment. And also, it's a story, perhaps, that we're telling ourselves. And as my friend Dougal Sutherland and I discussed in the podcast episode on midlife crises, if we find ourselves shooting, that is an invitation to dig in further about what stories, what beliefs are coming up within us. So for instance, leaving aside the example that I gave about buying a piece of electrical equipment, we all have had morning or afternoon teas at work and someone has been on a diet and a cake comes into the office or some cookies or some biscuits or some kind of treat food and someone who is on a diet reaches over and as they're saying as they're reaching over and and listener I'm, I'm kind of acting this out here <laughs> um, but as they reach for a piece of cake as they reach for a cookie as they reach for a biscuit 
they say, oh, I really shouldn't, but it's like, okay, okay, do, do not eat it, don't eat it, is what a lot of the people standing around the table are thinking, right? But I really shouldn't do this, but there you go, you're doing it. Saying I should doesn't absolve you um, of the calories that you're about to ingest. What it does do is telegraph to those present that you're telling yourself a story that you've that you have a belief about food potentially about body image potentially about a whole range of topics that that simple excuse oh, I really shouldn't as you reach over and grab that enormous slice of cake or tiny biscuit or whatever it is Language is powerful and I use my awareness of language when I speak with those of you who have reached out for a strategy call as part of my coaching work. I listen for the tries, I listen to the shoulds and my coaching clients know that I will be on them like a ninja digging into the tries and the shoulds. Usually, as Dougal suggested, with the words, who says so? Who says that you should or should not be doing this? So what are we to do? What are we to do apart from being linguistic ninjas? And if any of you are like me, you've got these images of your head um, of people all dressed in black, you know, ready to go, hi um, when someone says the, you know, try and should. And let's have a bit of fun. Let's just say hi whenever someone says it, all right? Um, let me know how you go. But I've read a book recently and I really, I just loved it. It just was so calming and so peaceful. And some of you may have read it. And the book is called the Four Agreements by Miguel Ruiz, um, who is from Mexico. I'll put a link to this book in my uh, in the description for this episode as well. But the Four Agreements are so simple. There's such elegance to these Four Agreements, and it left me thinking just going the, the, the simple, the elegance of the simplicity, the elegance of this is really beautiful. And the way that he uses language is at once calming and also inspiring. But I want to share, if you haven't read it, please do go and read it. But I want to share with you the very first agreement. And the first agreement is everything when it comes to being aware of language and the words that we use. And the agreement is be impeccable with your word. I love the word impeccable. And essentially what Don Miguel Ruiz is saying is that every time you speak you are, in effect, putting a social contract into the world. Others are 
responding to the words that you use. The words that you use contain such power that they can change you and change the world. That might that second part might sound a little bit hyperbolic, a bit of hyperbole, but if you stop and reflect on it, it's true. The words that people use, the words that you use, change the world around you. Critically, the words that we use within ourselves, the words that we use to talk to ourselves, change us. I really encourage you to reflect on the question of whether you are impeccable with your word. And a final thought, our words, our thoughts need to align with our actions. This is called being in integrity, where our words, thoughts and actions are aligned with each other. So we think, we say, and we do the same thing. It sounds really simple, and it's actually a beautiful, simple concept, but it's so hard to do. It's actually, indeed, the business of life is being in integrity. And look and ask yourself and look for where your words, your thoughts, and your actions are not in integrity because we, others, look to actions rather than the words that are used. And if your actions and your words and your thoughts are not in alignment, you are out of integrity. And we notice, others notice, you within yourself notice what you do rather than what you say and you think. And if you are actually being impeccable with your word, that helps you be in alignment. For diplomats and those living the diplomatic life, this can be really difficult, especially when the work that we do, the words that we say, are often on behalf of other people, are on behalf of our governments. But the invitation is there for you to think about how you, within you, with what you can control, both in the workplace and in the rest of your life, can control about the words and the thoughts and your actions. Do you see what I mean by the words that we use, the language that we use being incredibly powerful and how they telegraph our intentions, beliefs and stories that we're telling ourselves into the world? There's real power, listener, real power in paying attention to what you say and what others say. And this has been what this episode has been about. It's my invitation to you to really consider what language or how you use language because with that awareness whole vast area of opportunity of potential opens up 
to you. And like me with my old fashioned radio, you will find over time, if not immediately, that you have become attuned to what people are saying around you and what you're saying to yourself. And a final thing that I wanted to say is about alignment. And just think, just think that, you know, within your workplace, within your employing agency, how frustrated do you find, do you get when the words and the thoughts said within the agency about its strategic direction? How do you, how does it feel when those words and thoughts don't align with the actions? It's frustrating. It's actually an enormous source of frustration for us in our workplaces when, you know, what is said differs to what is done because we pay attention to what is done. It's frustrating and it's just as frustrating when individuals do it. This is your invitation to step up and pay attention to the words that you use thoughts that you have and how you put them into the world and align with your actions. If you would like my help, please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash services and have a look at my coaching services. I'd be really happy to work with you as you pay attention to help you pay attention to your words and your thoughts so they align with your actions. That's all I wanted to say for this episode. So if you've got a question for me or if you have feedback on this episode or any previous episodes, please send me an email to admin at thelonelydiplomat.com. If you like my work, please give it a rating on the service through which you're listening now. If you do like my work, please tell a friend, tell all your friends. But if you feel that I can improve it, please tell me. And if you found value in this episode, if it's really made you think about how you use language and how powerful your words are and your thoughts are and whether you are impeccable with your word or not, please show me some love. Please go to thelonelydiplomat.com forward slash support and learn how you can provide a one-off or a monthly financial contribution to help me continue my work. It does sound like you're getting ready to go. So until next time, please be impeccable with your word. Be awesomely and humanly you because the world needs more you. views expressed in this episode are my own and all sounds are freeware in the public domain. Thanks for listening.